0: Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries.
1: It's the beginning of another new year, and this is a time when many people think about what they would like to be different in their lives. They make resolutions, they do some self evaluation, and one area that always gets looked at is somebody's relationships. And quite often, this means they're romantic ones. This is actually a good thing, and it's actually an idea that shouldn't happen only once a year. And many people are looking for information on how to improve this important aspect of their lives that they can actually use. Well, today you're in luck. Dr. Ronald Riggio, he's an author and the Henry R. Kravis Professor of Leadership at um, Colleges here to do just that. So, Dr. Riggio, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about this.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, like I said, this is something everybody does. Frequently, people take a look at their relationship. January is the busiest month for both marriage counselors and divorce attorneys which is crazy. (laughs) Wow,
0: Wow. (laughs) I didn't know that.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, And you kind of take a look at this concept of improving relationships head-on in an article that you wrote um, that's on the Psychology Today website called Seven Psychological Strategies to Strengthen Relationships. And let's just jump right in with what you're talking about because this is a time-limited show and I want to get to all seven of them. So the first two you talk about is something called the expectancy effect, and then the other one is called positive social support. So how do you define each of these, and what makes them important for strengthening relationships?
0: Okay, so the first thing is that, um, that all of these strategies are well-proven uh, through psychological research, so they're they're based on you know on basic constructs and concepts in in psychology. So the first one is the expectancy effect. It, it's sometimes called the Pygmalion effect, and it's this idea that if we hold positive expectations about other people's behavior, then what we do is we actually subtly influence their behavior in line with those expectations. So if we hold positive expectations about People, if we believe that our partner will um, will show us affection or will um, um, do something in you know positive, uh, you know something uh, motivated, that we will subtly communicate that through nonverbal channels, and that the person will actually become uh, the uh, uh, what we expected, and that's why it's sometimes called the Pygmalion. So that's
1: really kind of interesting because I kind of I'm wondering if that's in alignment with what I frequently tell my clients, which is to give their partner the benefit of the doubt. That if there's a couple of different ways to interpret their partner's behavior, they choose the one that puts it in the most positive light.
0: Yeah, and I think in some ways that's 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 a sort of an adjunct to this. Um, but, but the, the issue with the expectancy effect is you really have to believe that they're going to improve, right? So it's that, you know, I have faith in you. I know you can do it effect. And so if our partner trying to quit smoking or something like that, you know, it's that positive, positive uh, expectation. I know you can do it. I know you can overcome this.
1: Interesting. And as you're talking about that, I'm just flipping through things that my clients have said to me about their partners. And it's usually very negative, you know, because we kind of get into this um, negative feedback loop and we go from looking at our partners in positive ways as, as wanting to make us happy, as wanting to do the right thing, but then we tend to focus on the things that they aren't doing and, the focus that you talked about about the nonverbals is so important
0: yeah yeah so so this idea of i think you're on, on the right track here is that that we you know we emphasize the negative we should emphasize the positive right we should be reinforcing we know that positive reinforcement is always better right to to um, sure. you know to encourage behavior rather than punishing them for Inappropriate behavior, encourage them in the, in the positive behavior, right? Go in the positive direction. And, and you mentioned that. So catch them one, up
1: doing something right or doing right. something positive, correct?
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, in fact, there's a, what is it? Catch them doing something right, you know, and reward them for doing something mm-hmm. right. So rather than punishing for doing something wrong. And then then you mentioned positive The second uh, component was the positive social support. And it's a similar kind of thing. So when we think about our support networks, we think about that network of, of close friends and family members. And we just think that just the, having them there is positive, right? So we have the support network, but it's really about the behavior of the support of others. So in this case, when we're trying to provide that social support to a loved one, we want to focus on the positives and not and avoid the negativity. So we've all had a person who a friend who is one of those "I told you so" people. They focus on uh-huh. the negative. Right. You know, and in essence, those two are going together with the, the sort of expectancy effect of saying, well, I knew you were going to fail. Um, I told you you were going to fail. I told you so don't fail uh-huh. anymore. Right. And so that that those it just doesn't go together. So a much better strategy is to give positive social support, to focus on the positives and not on the negatives.
1: So does this Kind of correlate with something that was bandied about maybe a year or two years ago about divorce being contagious that when you know if if you, people in your social network are either divorced or not in great relationships, then that can kind of bleed over into your relationship because you know that's kind of what they're talking about when you all get together.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it, you, what happens in those situations is you're drawing attention to the negatives and, you know, we can all find negatives and, you know, but, um, it, but if, you, if you focus on the negatives and ignore the positives, then you're really, you know, going to be in trouble. And, and, uh, and that's one of our um, ways to make your partner uh, uh, better, to make the relationship better. That's one of the, uh, the other strategies, that we'll talk about that cognitive right. Re- reframing, right?
1: Right, and so this is so this is kind of interesting because um, who you're associating with can really make a difference, and I've seen several relationships really struggle when maybe one of the one of the in laws is you know constantly bashing the spouse, or <laughs> you know that you have these negative impacts or if you go out and hang out with people cuz you know when i was studying to be a marriage and family therapist all my friends were going oh i can't wait till you you know till you get licensed and it's like no i can be your friend or i can be your therapist but i can't be both meaning the friend will go yeah that's really terrible and you know that person was really awful to do what they did and your therapist would be and your part in it was what <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, because and and i think that we don't fully understand the impact or the influence of the people who are around us, and I think that's what you're really saying with this social support, positive social support piece.
0: Yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of be there and listen. Uh, it's sort of listening rather than telling,
2: mm-hmm. right? Okay. And,
0: and, and very often, you know, our partner just needs to be heard, and uh, we need to be empathic and supportive. And and you know, I, I mean, we're all guilty of this, and, and particularly in uh, men, because there's a, a tendency, <laughs> uh, guys' tendency to see this, to jump in and try to solve problems.
2: Exactly
0: yeah to fix it and and, and and if the person is asking you to fix the problem, then jump in and fix the problem. But if they're just there to really have a supportive ear and to have someone listen to uh, you know their their, their problem, then right. um, that's what you need to do. You need to do what your loved one needs you to do.
1: What a concept. So let's go on to the to the next couple that you mentioned. and one is called the norm of reciprocity, and that one kind of really bothered me a little bit. <laughs> the way you described it, and yeah. the unconditional positive regard. And these kind of seem to go together. So can you talk a little bit more about them?
0: Yeah, well, the norm of reciprocity is very, very common. If someone, and, and the saying, uh, one good turn deserves another. So if somebody does a favor for us, we feel uh, sort of compelled uh, psychologically to return that favor, all right? A um, uh, psychologist, uh, Robert Cialdini, at Arizona State, he, he uh, made a big deal about this norm of reciprocity. And he did things like a study where he sent people Christmas cards, random people out of the phone book. And uh, guess what? He got a whole lot of Christmas cards back um, mm-hmm. because th- because of this idea. If somebody does us a favor, sends us a, a card, gives us a compliment, then we're supposed to return that compliment, right? And what we want to do is use that to our advantage, right? We don't want to take advantage with the normal reciprocity but um but by giving by for example, paying our partner a compliment, we're more likely to get a compliment in return right so mm-hmm. so again it it's about focusing on the positive right so well
1: and I love this because. That right there, the norm of reciprocity, kind of highlights the fact that one person can really bring about change in the relationship just by doing things like this.
0: Absolutely. You know, doing a favor, uh, completing a chore, doing one of your uh, significant other's chores, uh-huh. and then just and 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 then just doing it and then and then you don't have to necessarily invoke the norm of reciprocity you <laughs> could say I did that for you just because I love you and I wanted to make things easier for you but we know that back in the your partner's mind it's going to be boy I've got to return that favor someday
1: right but it also sets up positive regard for for you if yeah. and and again the reasons why you're doing it, and and to me, intention matters, motivation matters, that if I'm only doing it to get my partner to do something for me, it's probably not going to work, but it's being done in that generosity of spirit that, oh, I see you struggling with this, or so let me just go ahead and do it. I mean, my, my husband and I have this thing for years that whoever cooked the other one cleaned up, Right. And, you know, and sometimes I'll come in, you know, to, to clean up the kitchen after he's done the cooking, and it'll be clean. And I'll be like, wait a minute, you weren't supposed to do that. That was my job. But, he, but, you know, he goes, yeah, you were tired, and I, you know, you were busy doing something with the kids, and so I just took care of it. And I have to agree. It really, it made me feel good. It made me feel loved, and it also made me want to reciprocate because I wanted him to feel that way about me.
0: Yeah, and that's it. If you stay on that positive track, you're going to get, you know, in-kind positive contributions, right? So the idea mm-hmm. is that it's going to keep going. You you can, I mean, and they do it all the time. I mean, advertisers do it in a, uh, you know in inauthentic way, in an exploitative mm-hmm. way, right? They offer mm-hmm. you, you know, you go to Costco and they offer you free samples. Well, why are they offering you free samples? Because you feel obligated, <laughs> now I've got I to go buy it.
1: buy it, Yeah. You know? <laughs> I never do um, but so what so how does this fit with the unconditional positive regard?
0: Well, I think we've kind of already gotten into that territory. It's this idea of you know don't focus on the negative don't focus you know so in your example, um, you know don't don't feel any resentment because now you're uh, you're you're doing the cooking and the cleaning. Right? Mm-hmm. right? Right. So you have to do it with, a, with the idea of positive regard, that I'm doing this because I really care about you. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and then again, on, the other, on your partner side, they shouldn't exploit that. They shouldn't exploit the unconditional positive regard. So when, And it relates back a little bit to what we talked about with social support. So the problem, the issue with support is that it's give and take. Um, And Mm. so when we look for support, we're taking, right? But we've got to be, we're also obligated to give. And what we have to do is we have to manage that, those supportive relationships, so that it's pretty much imbalanced. You don't want to be giving all the time and have Mm -hmm. have somebody else taking in the relationship. And, um, you know, and then you're getting exploited. Absolutely. and And that hurts the relationship in the long term.
1: Yeah, I think we've all had those friends where, you know, I, I liken them to vampires. They just suck all the energy away, and it's like, okay, I, I can't deal with this anymore because there isn't that give and take, and that's really what a relationship is all about. Right. So right. this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and my guest today is author and professor Dr. Ronald Riggio. And we're talking about things that you can do starting today to improve your relationship. And if this is something you are wanting to do but aren't sure how to implement these strategies, I've got to tell you, you're not alone. But you do not have to settle for a less than relationship for even one more day. Uh, I invite you to contact me and schedule your free no obligation, create your happily ever after strategy session. You can send me an email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N as in Nancy, C as in Charlie.com. Or you can give me a call at area code 919 9240463 again that's 9199240463 now let's get back to this conversation about strategies and how you can improve your relationship and the next couple on the list seem to be a little bit more challenging and this is cognitive reframing and then the other important one is empathic listening so yeah. what are they and How can people actually implement
0: them? Okay. Well, cognitive reframing is uh, where this uh, comes into play is when your loved one is troubled, when your loved one is dwelling on the negatives, right, on on an Mm -hmm. illness, a a misfortune, uh, some stress that's happening at work or something like that. And the cognitive reframing is your attempt to provide a different way, an alternative way of viewing the situation, putting it in a more positive light right so the the it's kind of the old proven technique of having the individual focus on the positives instead of the negatives, so you know let's focus on what's what's working. Uh, correctly, uh-huh. rather than the things that aren't working, or you know, let's sort of count the idea of, of count your blessings, right, rather than focusing on on uh, what's going wrong. And, right. You know, this is a this is part of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? So this is exactly you know the cognitive reframing idea is, um, you know, we can go down that dark negative spiral of just everything is terrible, everything is bad, and neglecting the positives. And so what you try to do with your partner in cognitive reframing is focus on the positives, get them to think about, you know, count your blessings, think of the good things, you know, not not ignoring that there aren't bad things, but trying to do that kind of cost-benefit analysis in terms of, you know, how are we going to move forward.
1: Yeah, and, and I liken this because, you know, um the, the fictional character Pollyanna basically was a was a fantastic cognitive reframer. Uh, it wasn't right. that she, it wasn't that she just was you know going through life la la la. There weren't any problems. She, she's gotten a bad name. She's actually basically was well no this is really happening. But let's see if we can find that silver lining in the cloud. Um, and I think that this is. And I probably should have put these in different order only because I think the empathic listening is a really key component to making cognitive reframing work. So, can you describe empathic listening?
0: Yeah, so empathic listening, and, and, it, and it's very, very important, right? So, the, the goal is to listen to your partner, you know, listen to their, their thoughts, their feelings, their problems, and really doing it by fully listening and empathizing with your partner, right? So, um, you know, our again, our tendency is we want to offer advice, we want to make suggestions or maybe uh, stay away from that I told you so kind of thing. We don't want to focus on the negatives. But uh-huh. really, it's the, the goal is to try to understand your partner's emotions and concerns. And again, the empathic listening, this goes back to sort of Rogerian, therapy right for those of those who have studied psychology is um you know is really just being there and being a supportive listener and and trying to empathize you know i i i get where you're coming from right well and, and, yeah go ahead
1: but one of the things and, and i run into this a lot um is what if i don't get it i mean yeah and and I think that's one of the challenges because because a lot of times I don't understand or my par- or my partner doesn't understand why this seems to be a problem for me. Um, my husband and I joke all the time because I'm constantly cold, and he and, and he actually invites me to put my cold hands on him to warm up, and then he'll go. But I can't do that. I said no because I don't like being cold. So. <laughs> Yeah. So he's like, you are correct. I will never invite you to put your cold hands on me. I mean, not never, but hardly ever. And because we just have these different world experiences, and I think that's one of the big challenges for couples, this empathic listening is because I really – don't understand, and uh, my colleague Michelle Wiener Davis basically has said that understanding is overrated. I don't need to understand why you're upset. I just need to acknowledge that you are.
0: Yeah, right, right, and that's exactly what we're what what we're talking about with this, and and it relates again back to what we talked about the po- the unconditional positive regard, right? So I'm I'm going to trust that you're really feeling this way. I'm not going to try to correct your feelings, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and to reflect that. Now, there's a really good book. You now I've been out a couple of years, um, but it's Edgar Schein. I don't know if you know his work, but um, it's called Humble Inquiry, uh, The Gentle Art of Asking Instead of Telling. And I think it's a, a terrific book, and it's uh, you can you know pick it up on Amazon, Humble Inquiry uh, by Edgar wow. Schein. And, and what he talks about in that book is that we we sort of have to be, engage our humility and just ask questions to kind mm-hmm. of understand where the other person's coming from and not think about our own agendas or, you know, and and definitely the, you know, the subtitle tells it the gentle art of asking instead of telling. So rather than trying to tell someone what they should be doing, we're just listening to them, just this willingness to listen. And what that does is it sort of empowers the other person um, and you know, and then they can work through. They can start to work through their feelings and concerns. And you might couple that with a cog- kind of a cognitive reframing later on after you've listened to their problems and say, "Well, you know, have you thought about trying it this way? Have you, have you, have you thought about focusing on on what's working rather than what's not working?"
1: Yeah, and that's and that's an important second step because most people need to feel heard before they're ready to take a look at it from a different perspective or try to find a solution. And I think maybe that's where that disconnect comes in, especially between men and women, because men just want to solve the problem. Mostly, and and here's what people need to understand, mostly because they want their partner to stop hurting it's not yeah. that they don't care about their partner's feelings or that they're just thinking that they know it all. They actually, what, what their goal is, they really want their partner not to hurt, and so that's why they want to fix things. But unfortunately, if they miss this empathic listening piece first, then it basically sends everything off into the ditch.
0: Right, right. right.
1: Which brings us to the very last point, and the reason why I wanted to put it off by itself is because I think it is an absolutely critical component to healthy functioning lasting relationships and that is model forgiveness right so in your definition what does real forgiveness entail and why do we struggle with it so much
0: well, forgiveness is because of the the negative emotions. I mean, that's that's really what the problem is. So, when someone, when our partner has has transgressed, when our, our partner has done something wrong, we're hurt, uh, we're angry, right? So, the negative emotions.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: and when it comes to negative emotions, there's kind of a, a couple of things. You know, one is that we sort of push them down and stifle them and pretend that they don't exist, and that's bad or the other extreme is we explode in a in a rage and we know that our Ooh. thinking is not good when we're exploding in rage right we're we're uh, giving in to mm-hmm. emotions and we're our cognitive processes aren't working very well <laughs> yeah. um, but also when we push them down then what happens is if we push the anger down and the hurt um we don't we don't deal with it right and so what we have to do is, is get it out in the open. You know, I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm hurt because of what you did.
2: Uh-huh. But,
0: you know, so that's kind of the first step, is to make sure you're dealing with the, the emotions properly. The, but then the second is you need to decide whether you're going to forgive or not. And you can't Ooh. do it halfway, right? If you're going to forgive, um, then, you know, you have to be willing to let it go. I mean, you can't true forgiveness can't you know include hanging on to it and bringing it back.
2: <laughs> so, you
0: you've got to let it go and and move forward. Um and you know, part of the part of the forgiveness process and we can go back a little bit to the cognitive reframing idea um is Thinking about it, well, it could have been a lot worse, it, you know.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> you know, and uh, and you know, maybe we'll transgress, uh, and uh, you know. So I think it's reframing the thinking about it, and really, what it is 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 um, is releasing that those tormenting emotions, uh, you know, that are inside of you, and so it, you're by. Um, modeling the forgiveness by forgiving the other person, um, they're going to feel better uh, about it. I mean, because obviously there's going to be guilt and all that. And and so, deal.
1: <laughs> and, and then if,
0: when you transgress, the normal reciprocity is going to kick in and they're going to say, you forgave me. I need to forgive you. I need to deal with this. So it, it yeah, helps you and- now and it helps you in the future, right?
1: And I think that one of the things that I try to stress with people is because I forgive somebody doesn't mean that I'm saying what happened was okay. It, right. In the first place. It just means I'm releasing that emotional energy. And, you know, I frequently will have my clients, you know, say, well, well," you know, they'll tell me that they're over something. and I, And what I will actually say to them is, based on how much emotion is in your voice when you talk about this, I am going to respectfully disagree that you're not over it yet, that there's still something there. I mean, you know, and, and it's truly out of respect, but it's like, you know, because there is this pressure um, to forgive. You know, it's you know, your your kids have a fight. And it's go hug each other and tell each other that you're sorry, when, of course, maybe they're not. You know? <laughs> so right, right. They haven't gotten there yet. And I guess maybe that's, you know, and, and it's interesting because you have these listed as seven separate things, but I'm not sure they're separate at all. I think they're pieces, you know, pieces of a bigger thing, that they're all, as we've talked about in many ways, one will lead back to another which will lead back to another which will lead to the fourth one there you know it's almost like i have this idea of, of this wheel and they're all just spokes off of the wheel where the healthy relationship is is the thing that connects them all yeah
0: yeah no they're they're all interrelated so to to kind of uh to kind of separate them out you have to sort of draw lines between them because they're all interrelated you know
1: yeah, and, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with this book. My, my husband was given it years ago um, as part of his training, and it's a book called Leadership and Self-Deception. And, huh. it's, I, and it's, I am
0: not familiar with that, but I'll have to look that up.
1: Huh. Yeah, it's, it's a great book because, you know, I, he, he was reading it, and he said, you're going to love this. And I, and I was reading it, I go, yeah, this isn't, I said, this isn't about business, this is about relationships. Uh, and it really is about how do we keep um, our partner in in a positive state? It, when I read this book, it, it explained to me how couples go from trying to please my partner, trying to figure out what will make them happy, trying to keep things going. To what have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm, <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. it's this it's this piece of where I stop looking at my partner with positive regard. I stop trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. I start to, the negatives start to take over. And I'm sure you're familiar with the happiness studies where they show it takes five positive interactions to balance out or overcome one negative one. That's how powerful the negative is. Right. Right. Um, And, you know, and, and it's easy when we're in the day-to-day existence to see Stop seeing those positive things that our partners do.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things with with, with the transgression and, and the idea of forgiveness is if you don't let it go, then you you replay it over and over again. And so, you know, we say, you know, can you forgive and forget? Well, if you truly forgive, there's research that shows that you, you will start to forget it. I mean, not completely, but you won't, mm-hmm. re- you know, it won't have that compelling uh, emotion or arousing, negative emotion, arousing effect that it had, because over time you start to forget about it. Sure. And um, you yeah,
1: know. Just ask any woman who's had more than one child. We forget.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, absolutely. Well, that's, you know, I, I, right. That's why there's no real memory for pain. Because if you, if you had a true memory for pain, where you remember pain is in the second childbirth. And then you go, oh my God, I remember this, but you don't remember it right before, you know, so anyway. But yeah. And, and you're
1: this, I think people get really hung up, and, and I know that I've worked with clients around this because they do get hung up with, well, if I actually forgive somebody, then it was saying it was okay. It's yeah. like, no, and again, that's partially um, you know somebody has to be sincere in their in their remorse, right um, right for you know, and again, but but part of this is is when all these components are working together, each one then becomes easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so the thing, too, that we got to remember in a relationship, it's a two way street. So we're talking about it kind of from one side, but uh-huh. there is this idea that the other person is working toward it. But here's the, here's the thing, and this is, um, and I actually wrote an earlier version of this, and, and the earlier version was focused around how, how can you make your partner into a better person? Right. And it was essentially the same strategies, but you're changing the focus, not how can I make the relationship better, but how can I make my partner better? And if you think about that, as you make your partner better, you make yourself better. Right? Because you're doing you're engaging in positive strategies. It's gonna feed back because you're doing the right things for your partner. And that reciprocity idea that the partner is going to return it in kind for the most part. So, you know, so yes, both people have to work at it. But if you look at it from a from that angle of I'm trying to make you better, um, I'm not work I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for us, or I'm doing it for right. you, right? Right. And uh, and and so that's I think the the strategy. I think in some ways that's a better strategy. It's a little more selfless, or at least on the surface. I'm doing right. this for you, but it'll actually in the end help me too and help the relationship.
1: Yes, as as long as we don't get too upset because you know our partners aren't responding immediately. Sometimes we have to do things for a little while, especially. For relationships that aren't in, you know, that somehow have fallen off from their best. I mean, right. know, like anything else, I think it's always easier to keep something going than try to fix it once it's broken. But we can do that, but sometimes it's going to take a little bit of time for that pattern to be broken. And I think that that's one of the things that, that couples and people in general struggle with.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's like your car, right? It's if, yeah, you, okay. if, you, if you just ignore the knocks and the pings and you don't engage, <laughs> you don't maintain it, you know you're going to have a big problem down the line in relationships. I mean, that's maybe a poor analogy, but, but relationships. No, I think it's a great if, one. If you don't work on the relationship, and what happens is we say, well, we'll work on it later, or, you know, right. we'll put it off, or we'll ignore it. You know, we're, I'm uh-huh. ignoring that and then what happens is down the line it's too it's too far gone to to uh, to have the effect that you know
1: right or or there, or their half I, I kind of liken it to you you go to your doctor for a checkup and they'll find something wrong now the doctor if you wait till you have stage four cancer they may yep. be able to do something but boy is it a, is it a lot it's, harder and a lot more a, expensive
0: yeah yeah so that's it so this is really about maintaining these are the strategies to maintain a good relationship.
1: So where can people find out more about um you, these relationship strategies? Um I know you I know that you do leadership work and, and to me a lot of times the the same thing that works in leadership works in relationships because guess what? They're the same thing. <laughs>
0: that, that's right. That's right. Leadership is just a relationship, it just has sort of different parameters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you no, know, well, I try to you know, make this all fairly accessible. So I write a lot of books on leadership and I write a lot of books on the workplace and, and that. But but in terms of the relationship work, I, I put it on my Psychology Today blog. So if, if you want, you can uh, uh, go to psychologytoday.com. Uh, look up my name, Riggio, R-I-G-G-I-O, uh, pretty unique name, so I'm the only one up there. <laughs> Um, and and go ahead and look at my blog post. It's called Cutting Edge Leadership, but I do a lot of other things. I uh, I do some on body language because that was something I was trained in early, um, or mm-hmm. first, first research. Um, there's a lot on leadership. There's a lot on the workplace, workplace bullying, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But there, but occasionally I'll focus on relationships. And very often I borrow strategies from leadership or I borrow strategies from uh, peer relationships at work and just give them a little more intensity and they become love relationships, right? So That's the, true. The nuts and bolts of relationships, we're all human. And so yep. there are lots and lots of similarities. So psychologyday.com and you can follow me on Twitter. I, I tweet out every time I
1: post. Terrific. So the adage that if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten is true. And it's never more so than in your relationships. You and your partner have developed patterns of behavior that determine how satisfied either of you are with the relationship. So hopefully you've learned about some new behaviors you can adopt to create the relationship you truly desire. And isn't that a great way to start the year? So hopefully you'll keep listening. And until next week, Stay loving.